This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Brian Brown, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. I never, ever thought I'd be saying that. Why? Well, I don't know. I just, I, the chances of ever meeting you, somebody that I have loved and adored and followed his career, and here you are in my office. Now, I could say the exact same thing. <laughs> you could, because you've known about me for years and years. <laughs> yes, right. and I've adored you for years and years. <laughs> of course. Of course. I don't know. Uh, for those that listen to the podcast, they will know that I have crushes on many people. I'm very open about my crushes. Good I think it's be. important. Yeah, don't yeah, you Yeah, very important. Mm. Now, he needs no introduction, but he is one of Australia's most beloved actors, having appeared in over 80 film and television shows. He has worked in some 20 countries, including his home country of Australia and the United States. Sweet Jimmy was his first... That was your first book, a collection of yeah, short stories. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, It was seven short stories on crime and it was released in 21. His latest novel, The Drowning, follows a sleepy northern New South Wales town as they uncover murder, drugs, liaisons and lies. With his signature blend of humour, tough and suspenseful writing, the secrets of this seemingly idyllic town slowly come to the surface. Now, I'm so curious about the two genres, like being an actor... Were you ever directing? Have you directed? No, and don't ever go to anything if you see directed by Brian Brown. Okay, That right. ain't my forte. <laughs> right. So I'm just wondering about the two vehicles of storytelling. Yeah, well, like, as an actor, I'm interpreting a character that someone else has drawn, someone mm-hmm. else has written down there. That's my job, to pull the glove on over me so that when I open my mouth, people believe that that person is mm. a crim, a cop, a farmer, a soldier, mm. whatever I'm playing. Here, as a, a writer of, of stories, I'm creating the character completely mm. and I'm taking that character where I want to and I'm inside the head of that character. Mm. So it's vastly different. Mm. Okay, so uh, was can I say covid inspired you to start writing? Was it, no. Or was it not happening? No, you can say it, but it's not right. Okay, so tell no. me what happened. Well, it was sort of an organic process, really, and it's to do with why Sweet Jimmy happened. Yeah. Um, I was watching CNN one night a few years back, about four years back, watching CNN one night, and, and there was these about eight or ten people, all similar age to me, and they'd all just, they were having a celebratory dinner because they'd all just been released from jail in Hong Kong. Right. And the judge had said, you're not drug couriers, you're stupid. Mm. And they'd been caught up in scams, romance scams and a lot, where they were carrying stuff that they didn't know they were carrying and got caught and got put into jail. And I was looking at that and I was thinking, if I was one of those blokes that that had happened to, I'd have to know who was behind this. Mm. And then I went, not a bad idea for a series. Mm. So I started writing about 
a male character who wasn't a cop or anything like that, who comes home and goes, I've got to find out. And how does he start to pursue that? And I started, and I thought this would be a very good series, a good idea for a series. So I started to write the story of this. But the more I wrote it, I was actually enjoying telling the story of who this man was, why he could, how he came about doing this. So I was able to get in the head of this man and then his relationship with his daughter and he'd lost his wife. And suddenly I'm, I'm writing a story and, and, and I could have stopped at any stage and went, well, that's a good enough pitch to get started. But I was enjoying the story and I wanted to see where it was going to lead me. So eventually it ended up as 17,500 words and I had a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny Byrne, um, the journalist mm-hmm. happened to read it and said, look, this mm-hmm. is a really good short story. Have you got any others? Well, that made me think, well, no, I don't think I have, but over the next course of a couple of months as I'm driving along, I'd think of something and go, oh, that's not a bad start for something. Let's pursue it. Mm. Next minute I've got seven stories and it's published under Sweet Jimmy. And there was no burning ambition to write, but my game for 50 years has been telling stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is... Another media. For me, it's another platform, a different place where I can tell a story. Mm. But I'm very much in charge of this story, whereas with film, everything's collaborative. And, you know, you get input and you need input and all that sort of stuff. So this is a very different experience. Mm. Okay, there's the story that you've got in your head, but then there's the craft of writing. Had you written before? Had you been – would you have described yourself as – you know, were you one of these people that was – that became an actor, but you're keeping a journal or writing things at night? Is no. That, no. And the subject I hated most at school was English. Right. Okay. I could not connect with English in any way as a young man growing up. You know, books like Great Expectations that were supposed to read had nothing to do with my life as a young man growing up in the suburbs of Sydney. Mm. I couldn't connect to that. I thought poetry was rubbish. Uh, Shakespeare was, you know, clumsy stuff, you know, uh, Romeo, Romeo, where are you? I couldn't work out why didn't someone didn't say, look, you want a kiss and a cuddle down the lane? You know, like, there was nothing that was that that made sense to me. Now, for some, it did. Who maybe wanted to be, go out of their life and and could embrace something like that? I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, my life was enjoying life at the moment in the suburbs, in the swamps, in the streets, and so so that sort of stuff. It, I find it ironic that. 50 years of my life has been involved with the English language mm. in, in interpreting characters mm. as a producer working with writers, mm. as a producer coming in with ideas and then working with writers. You know, so, you know, it is ironic that my life is actually mm. the English language and reading and, and, and telling stories. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a natural uh, thing for me to tell a story. Now, in terms of writing it, I use one finger Mm-hmm. To write mm-hmm. on the computer, yeah. Um, or at least you're using a computer. I'm using a computer, <laughs> but I don't really change a single thing that comes out. Right. Well, okay. What What is at the end of that story is basically, you know, maybe I'll go. Got a couple of few too many swear words in there, Brian. Pull a couple out. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Otherwise, it just. Is, is the voice is coming out of me telling the story as mm. I, as it feels right, and if it feels right, then there's nothing I'm going to do to change it to make it better. So, uh, some people say they can hear my voice in the stories when they read them. Mm. I don't understand what that means well, because see, I don't know my voice. Yeah, but see, that's what makes a story authentic, and mm. that's what makes a story compelling when you can actually hear the writer's voice. Right. I mean, that is really important to me as a reader. I want to just talk about the writing uh, process just just this last question is so when you're working on a film set you know you start at 6am and finish at 12pm or whatever whatever the 12am or 
<clears throat> when you're writing a book, are you do you approach that like work? Like, do you go into an office? Do you sit there? Do you give yourself a word count, or how do you approach that well, kind when of I, work? When I'm like with the short stories and with this one, when I said, you know, I went, oh, I think I've got a story in my head. I start, I start on the story. I'll do maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and then I'll either the character goes somewhere else or bumps into someone, and I have no idea what's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. And so, Many writers tell me that. So I'll wander off, you know, mm. I'll go, oh, okay. And then a couple of, couple of days later, just before sleep, I might go, oh, my God, what if? And then I can go back the next day and maybe do another, another hour and a half. So I'm not on this. Sometimes I might go up three days in a row because I've got a flow on. I know where I'm, I'm going. But basically, it's the characters are leading me. I'm not leading. I'm sure that's the same with, with most writers. The characters are taking I have no idea what the plot is. I have no idea what the ending's going to be mm. because I don't know who all the characters are going to come into this and what they're going to be doing mm. to give me my story. Mm. So I'm being led by each character who's opening up their lives. and But I am sort of aware that those characters have to all in some way be being together where they're moving forward, you know. Mm. I've learned as a in the game I'm in with film is like, you know, you, you keep progressing. You must keep progressing the story. You can go over there and come back, but you're progressing the story. Um and I think possibly my experience in film has led me that's subconsciously given me a way that I'm going about telling the story. Mm. You know, I think I I'm, I visually see my characters and where they are and what they're doing and, you know, what their house is like or whatever. So um, it's, a, it's a fairly uh, organic thing to me. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, I like that. Uh, so then you moved on to writing a novel, which is what uh, we why you're here today, The Drowning. So to write short stories and to write a novel is, again, another monumental step, you know, to mm. to go from that to that. So tell me about that process and how this ended up being um, a, a fiction novel, not a collection of short stories. Well, people did ask me, you know, are you going to write another book? Mm. Well, I sort of thought, well, I've just done seven short stories. Do I, you know, yeah. do I do want to want write more? An, do I run another seven <laughs> short stories? You yeah. know, like, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not, not easy to keep coming up with something like that. And then people said, you know, do you think you can write a novel? And I was pretty sure I couldn't. Mm. I was pretty sure that long form mm. wasn't in me. But, you know, I was asked the question and it r- ruminates a bit. And I didn't really have, I didn't have a character you know, in all, in all my my short stories, I have a character, and then those or two, and they take me on the ride. I didn't have a character. Mm. Now I have a, a a farm up in the north coast of New South Wales, and and the the forests are all state forests, national national forests are all around and whatever. And there's fire trails, and out there in some of them, there's out the back there are there are little farms and stuff there, and plenty of signs on doors that go on 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 gates that go do not enter and padlock. And you always think, I wonder what the hell's going on there, mm. uh, and you have a little bit of an idea at times. Mm. Um, but also, I'm aware of all the you know, young kids growing up and adventure and bike riding and you go past those places and whatever mm. and how... You and know, somebody and, dares you to go in. And a no entry <laughs> sign is like a magnet. Yeah, exactly. Like, no entry? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. i got to go in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was always a scaredy cat. I didn't go in. <laughs> so I was thinking about that. Yeah. And I was thinking, suddenly I was thinking about, oh, God, you know, I wonder what the young kids, you know, riding yeah. a bike, you know, how many of them have gone into those places. And I went, woo, that's the spark. Yeah. And the, the sort of character that would be riding the bike 
came to me and I went, and that kid decides to go in there. Okay, yeah. what's he see? What happens? What's going on? There's the start of my story. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay, I want to go back to you growing up. Let's talk about how you came to be an actor. Well, I wasn't meant to be an actor, that's no. for sure. So where uh, did you grow up? I grew up in Panania. I lived there till I was 25. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. To 25? Till I was 25. I lived there from the age of probably four or five. What high school did you go to? I went to De La Salle Kingsgrove. Oh, wow. And I went to um, the Panania Catholic Primary School. Yeah. Because um, you know I went to St. Scholastica. Where'd you go? St. Scholastica, Skulls. Oh, in Glebe. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> Lebanese Christian. Yeah. Um, there you go. Um, now an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing to brag about. Um, so anyway, um, and then before that, like I was brought up by a single parent mother who brought my right. mother and my sister up. She had no family. That Her parents had died by the time she was 16 or something. Oh. She had no brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know... The man that my father that she was connected with ran off. He was very irresponsible. All right, fella, but very irresponsible. Did um, you have a relationship with him? I met him about 10 times through my life. Yeah. You know, um, I knew the bloke over the road better than I knew, knew my father for sure. And he was, he was all right, you know. I, I, I sort of sometimes think I know nothing about him. Even mm-hmm. though I saw him for 10, ti- 10 times or so during my life or 12 times. I really know nothing about him. I knew that he was a Labor man. That was the only thing. There was some sort of connected politic as a Labor man. But I didn't really know anything about him. I didn't. I never got to talk to him about things or anything like that. You know, part of me, I don't miss that, but I, I sort of go, I wonder what I would have found out. But anyway. It's formative. I, di- I didn't need to find out because my mother supplied everything. Mm. You know. mm. Do you um, think it made you a better dad? I know we're sidetracking here. I don't know those, those things. What made me a good dad... And I hope I'm a good dad. Is my mother? She yeah. taught me everything. Love it, right? Yeah. So she taught me how to be a bloke. Um, mm. But um, you know, before we were wait, we're in the migrant hostel at Bradfield Park, waiting for the for the for the uh, uh, housing commission house. <clears throat> I had a great childhood, growing up in the suburbs, running in the swamps. You know, my mother was fantastic. She cleaned houses and played piano at ballet classes to make mm. a living. You know, if she wasn't ha- couldn't be home for dinner, I'd be down at the lady's place on the corner who would cook dinner for us. All that community stuff mm. that went on, you know. And, and you know, uh, even as an atheist, you have to admit that <laughs> the church played an important part for people in terms of Have community. community. Yeah, you know, I it agree. was there. So was the totally. picture theatre there. Yep. So all those things are like, that's where mum would go. If she needed if she needed some house to clean, she'd go to the yeah. priest and say, has anyone said they want a cleaner? And he would go, yes, we've had so-and-so come up to say. Mm. So that sort of community thing I grew up with, which is probably why, when I think about it, you know, the drowning is about a community, mm, you know, is. and I enjoy yeah. coming across all the characters in that. But anyway, long and short of it was uh, when, when I finished high school, I was good at school. You um, were good? Yeah, I was yeah. good at school. I got, I got a, a scholarship to go to university, but I didn't take it because I didn't have anything to study. And I knew that if I went, it would be for a social situation and that would be an immense kick in the guts to my mother who'd spent all that time making sure I had had a life in front of me. So I was very good at mathematics. I got honours in maths one and maths two. 
And there was this thing called actuaries, which is mathematicians, whatever. And I could go to the AMP who would pay for me to study, and you had to study... An actuary? To study to be an actuary. And you, Whoa, could, yeah. I, I, you had to study it by correspondence from London or Edinburgh. So you're a and smarty so was, pants. And it wasn't, even, it wasn't even in the universities at that stage. So I started studying that, but I was also getting paid to be at the AMP and doing clerical-type work there. And I thoroughly enjoyed it because mm. I get beer money and I could have some independence and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, they with those big companies years ago, what happened, you know, that's where pe- people would be there for 40 years mm. and they'd meet their partner there yeah. and they would get their mortgage there. Mm. And so those places, the, the companies had to make sure they looked after their people. So mm. there'd be social clubs, all sorts of, the car club, the skydiving club. And at the AMP, they had a drama club. Um, and they sent a piece of paper around saying that anyone that would like to audition for this end of the year review, which I didn't even know what that meant, mm-hmm. come up. And I thought it was a big company. There'd be people I didn't know there socially. Why you not? hadn't acted at school. No, you weren't in no. drama. Oh, look, we'd had a, a teacher once who put on a bit of a play and we're all right. played characters, okay. in it, but nothing that nothing that it. So I went up there and they gave me a piece of paper and said, "Look at that," and then we'll get you to read opposite someone on it. And I did that, and they said. Well, that's good. Would you like to be in it? And if you, yeah, I said, yeah. And they said, well, come to rehearsals tomorrow afternoon. And the interesting thing was I thoroughly enjoyed going to work, but the next day I couldn't wait to go to work because yeah. at the end of the day it was going to be this very strange thing called rehearsal. And I really wanted to be a part of what that was. And for some reason it had released something new in me. Mm. And I think it's about I found a place where I could express myself. Mm. Not that I was shy or anything or retiring, but how I could express, I don't know, what had shaped me, how I was, what I felt inside. I could put those through characters. So I did the three nights of that. And at the same time, I said to the AMP, I, I saw other blokes coming to the AMP with these smart clothes and cars. And I said, who are they? And they said, they're the, they're the salesman. I said, oh, I want to be a salesman. So I told them I didn't want to be an actor anymore. I wanted to be a salesman. So, and at that stage, after I did that review, I wanted to know more about it. So I joined an amateur theatre. Now, when you're a salesman, no one has a clue where you are during the day, as long as you get the figures in on the Friday. <laughs> that's right. And so I was spending quite a bit of time involved in, and that's where I actually started to read because I was reading plays then yeah. that we were doing. And that was the time of the Angry Brigade from, from England, like John Osborne, and they were sort of like kitchen sink drama type mm-hmm. things, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I understood that world. I started to – that world was true to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was enjoying that. I didn't really know what was happening to me, but I was loving playing these characters on stage. So at 25, I said to myself, okay, you've got to stop pulling your pud, Brian. Either you give this thing a real go or you drop it and get on with a career. Mm. So I sold my car, bought a ticket to England, wow. left Panania for London and started knocking on doors telling everyone I was an actor. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. 
Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I stayed there for two and a half years and did a year in theatre and education. And in the final year, I got to audition for the National Theatre of Great Britain. And I was in their company for a year, uh, all of 74. And that was fabulous. It's. I was only talking to someone this morning about careers and how you get to where you are. And for almost all of us, it's not linear, is it? No. No. I mean, I didn't know I'd be comes here. From out of, comes from out of the blue. Does, doesn't it? The biggest thing is to be open for it. I think the biggest thing is to... You don't even know that you need something else. No. No. But when it comes to you, mm. you go, oh, my God, that's... Mm. I, I need that. Mm. And then mm. you either... Go for it or you don't. Well, what happened to me, I thought I wanted to be a primary school teacher, right? And then I was on a prac that had in this school that had a bookstore. And the lady said to me, the supervisor said, you don't like children. I said, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Boom, that counts you out. (laughs) Yeah, boom. And she said, there's a job in the bookstore upstairs. Why don't you go up there and work the summer and work out whether you're going to come back or not? And I, that was my home. When I walked that into that shop, yeah. that was me. Wow. I thought, what have I been doing? Yeah. But yeah. Isn't, it, isn't it funny? It's like something awakens you. You have no idea no. what this thing is that's awakened in I you. I didn't even know there was a career in selling books. No. No, no. I didn't know that. No, yeah. I, I do find it interesting. And I was saying to someone the other day, I'd really like to meet that bloke at, that was at 25 that, that chucked in his yes. job, sold his car yeah. and decided to go to England to mm. England and they own a theatre and knock on doors and say, I want to be an actor. Mm. You know, like, I'd like to meet that guy because, you know, I think good on him. You know, now I'd probably say to someone, oh, mate, you know, it's a precarious area. You know, like, mm. but mm. that's Thank the great thing about youth. Yeah. The great thing about guts. youth. It's like, yep. have a go. Have a go. You it's know, guts, you've got yeah. nothing to lose. At all. And you don't know that there's anything to lose in a way. No, you you're don't. Just gonna, you don't. You're you going to go for it, right? What was your first big film? What was that? Well, I was very lucky when I came back from England, uh, and I'd only come back for, uh, for to see my mother, but I sort of got captivated by being back in Australia, mm. the sun and the beach and the whatever, smell. and I thought, mm, yeah, I had a return ticket, yeah. and I went, oh, I don't think I'm going back. And also what had happened was when I went away, one of the big reasons for going away was I looked around, and why I didn't want to be an actor in Australia, was I looked around every time I went to the theatre to be an American or English play and Australian actors were playing American or English. And I thought, okay, if that's the case, I'm not going to do it secondhand. Mm. I'll go and become a pom and do it firsthand. Mm. But when I came back, David Williamson's plays were being done. Mm. Peter Weir was making Picnic at Hanging Rock. Mm. Suddenly this thrilling thing about we were actually telling our stories. Mm. You know, they weren't just American plays, they were Australian plays. Mm. I could connect with all that. I went to the Nimrod and saw this play called by Jim McNeil, an ex-prisoner called How Does Your Garden Grow, set in jail, and I was captivated by it. And I went, I can play that guy, I can play that guy, Mm. naturally. Mm. So it was a very exciting time. But 
I couldn't get a job. I auditioned for I auditioned for um, um, number ninety six about three times and couldn't get in it. I'm glad um, you didn't. I, I auditioned for young do- young, young doctors, that. which was a new show. Couldn't get in. I that. liked the young doctors. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, probably because I wasn't in it. But I, you know, I couldn't get a part. And then I owned the rights to a play called Kennedy's Children that I bought from that I'd bought American play. Presented that at Nimrod, and while I was there, a bloke called Bob Mazza. Indigenous actor, director, was doing another play there. And he said to me one night, look, we're doing this play at the Black Theatre, the the Aboriginal Theatre in Redfern, play called Here Comes the Nigger, which was a, a, a story about, which was the chant that used to go on to this, to, to this guy mm. every day when he walked to, to school. Mm. And that was the story. And it was quite a powerful piece. And he said, there's a great part in here we'd love you to play as, a, as an ex-Vietnam vet. Mm. And I was rapt that someone had asked me to do a play. I didn't even have to audition for it. I read it and went, terrific, I want to do it. And I was there for like 16 weeks um, doing that play. And one of the actresses who was in it in a very small role was Marcia Langton, Mm -hmm. Professor Marcia Langton, who's remained a good friend for over those times. And I said to her one day at lunch recently, I said, you know, when we were there, I said, I used to look at you looking at me and I used to think you just looked at me like, I don't trust that bloke. (laughs) And I said, I've just realised you were shy. She said, Brian, I was overwhelmingly shy. But the thing was, I did that play... No theatre directors came to see it, but a lot of film directors did. And a man called um, Stephen Wallace came to see it, who had an hour's film called Love Letters from Trelbar Road that he was making, and he wanted someone for the lead, and he saw me in that, and he gave me the lead in that. And then that that movie came out, and in the next three or four years, I did 15 15 films. So what was the transition like between stage and film? I felt incredibly comfortable in film. Wow, okay. I felt incredibly... When they said action, when that camera was there, it was like a, like just floating, you know. Right. I felt very comfortable in, in front of the camera. But, you know, that was the great period of things like... And I was lucky enough to do Break and Morant, mm. which was one of the great films. Uh, they were taking my brilliant career. Chanter Jimmy Blacksmith also had a part in that. Um, there was just these great movies happening do, that the world you, was looking at. But, and don't you think they're, they're, they're all of those that you listed, another favourite of mine is High Tide, which you're not in, but they have... They're so authentic that you feel feel the country in them you know not and I don't mean countryside I mean you feel the Australianness of it which we hadn't felt no. that was the thing we hadn't seen ourselves we hadn't no. seen our country we didn't know what silly buggers were we were we didn't know what mm. strengths and weaknesses we had we'd never seen them up there being portrayed in a in some sort of drama so it was like it was it was so thrilling to mm. be a part of that, you mm. know, and that's why you know we're a small country, and every five years you've got to go down and beat the politicians up and remind them they've got to keep supporting mm. supporting it. But you know, then they do. Mm. But you've got to remind them that it's, it wasn't there once, and it mm. can be taken away. Mm. Do you know it's interesting that happened um, with with fiction as well, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, crime fiction in particular, because um, I've been in the business now for. I'm not going to say 40 years, but it could be that long. <laughs> when I started working on the shop floor, there were no no Australian crime fiction. No. Everything we were reading was from uh, the US yeah. or the UK. And this is actually quite a new phenomena of Australian crime. I mean, it's really probably not even 10 years old. No. And, like, it's such a big genre. It is. And, I mean, I, have a th- you know, I read all sorts of things, but I love crime fiction. Yeah. I love oh, so the really I. great so crime I. writers. You know, they take me to mm-hmm. the... 
Ian Rankin t- mm. is Reba's character. Mm. I feel like I know Edinburgh after I've mm. read the read the book. Mm. You know, this is you get taken to the to these to these places. But I think this is, this is a, you know I think the reason I like crime is it, it's about moral choices. Mm. You know and. We're in all those books. That could have been me. Mm. I could have made that faltering step that led to that to led to that. You know, like uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of that in when we read it. But it's it's a fascinating it uh, genre because it goes to a dark side. Yeah. And we don't want to live a dark side because we'll destroy ourselves. But we know there is a darkness within us mm. and it's great to read it in mm. a book and see mm. how it can stuff you up, you know? It is. And for me, I mean, I don't, I very often don't see myself in it, but I like the tension. Like, it really takes me to another place in terms of being scared, being tense. I mean, very often, like, if I'm reading a Michael Robotham, for instance, I'll go up and check if the door's locked a couple of times. <laughs> you know? That's, That's when you know it's a good book. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's yeah, good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You do that right. Yeah. Um, when I'm writing it, though, and going to a dark place... <laughs> do you get scared? I, no, I'm thoroughly enjoying Enjoying it. Okay, that's when I start to worry. <laughs> I'll ask a crime writer. Oh, God. Anyway, so um, also, too, there's lots of, and you would have seen this in the last few years since Jane Harper, I think, a big surge in yeah. women writing crime Absolutely. fiction. Absolutely. Devlin McTiernan. Love her. Yeah. Do you love her? Love I her. love her. She's been in twice. I she just is. love she's her. She's so love much. her stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and t- once again, you see, taking us into Belfast, yes. taking us into the, you know, yeah. the times of the trouble. I love all that. That sort of stuff. Mm. You and know, really gritty. Place. Really, taking yes. it a place. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, I think a lot of authors talk about place as a character as well. It is. It is. And, I mean, and look, if you can't afford to travel, that's where you get to travel. Yeah. yeah in a yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. you away. I was going to ask you, did you, have you seen a shift like this shift that I'm talking about with books? Had there been a shift in film like that? Had there been something that we kind of took away from the Americans or the English and did it ourselves better? Or just well, that's that's a hard one. What I yeah. would say is, there's, a, there's, the, 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 there's the been a very big yeah. movement over the last to to uh, uh, you know put put indigenous stories in the hands of indigenous in film. Yes. you know, I was lucky enough to work with a fabulous director called Warwick Thornton, um, who did a movie called Sweet Country that we did. You know, and 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 that couldn't have got been made by mm. an indigenous director or even have the opportunity to present to come up present that story ten or fifteen years ago. True. So there's right. that movement there. Mm. to widen what our stories are mm. and and to enable some of those stories to be told from a perspective of an indigenous uh, uh, viewpoint rather than from a, a white uh, an anglo viewpoint so that sort of movement is is is, is out there mm, I but like that it, but it's interesting you say about the crime I'm sort of unaware of what you're saying. However, some people have pointed it out recently. And it's interesting how a movement starts. You're unaware of it. Mm. And I guess, you know, the fact that I'm writing crime, I, I think, is because, oh, I like crime and that's probably what I do. I probably can't write romance. But is it because I've found an influence subconsciously of people like Jane Harper and Michael Rosewell writing crime that I... Have, have found myself being caught in the wave. Is that how it works? I don't know. But I think it is how it works. There is a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that is how it works. Interesting with um, with Indigenous people storytelling as well because we often talk about the reason why Australian fiction is so popular is because people want to see themselves. All people want to see themselves, right? And I'm really hoping that, you know, we're getting some great fiction, great short stories, all sorts of things, and I'm loving those stories um, coming from our Indigenous population. Anyway, okay, now I want to touch a little bit on romance. Romance, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Not romance fiction, your romance. Oh, my romance. <laughs> Tell me how you met. Um, on, on, I met Rachel uh, Ward uh, on the uh, set of The Thornbirds. I loved um, that which film. we which we were both cast in. She was cast as the lead, uh, Megan. Uh, Richard Chamberlain was the priest or the cardinal, and I was a, a shearer who they end up marrying. But um, I remember, like I was practicing out, out where the set was in rehearsal, uh, practicing shearing sheep for a few days there, and you know starting to you know starting to not sweat within thirty seconds and getting a bit better <laughs> at it. When someone said, "Oh, here comes a girl playing Megan," um, and want to introduce you to to her. And um, that's where we met, me bent over a sheep shearing it and her saying, hi, I'm Rachel, you know, that, that's where yeah. we met. And then, of course, we did the movie, did the series together and um, uh, she just couldn't keep her hands off me. Yeah, and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, no, it was like, yes, you, no, we met on that and it was great. It was she's great. another crush I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's, 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 she's pretty formidable. Yeah, she yeah. is. She really yeah. is. Speaking of um, romance, um, and of growing up uh, and of being completely handsome. Um, I've got a question for you. I've got a really, really good friend in San Francisco. I go and live there three right. three months every year and I love it. Um, you know, as you know, America is a very strange place and so it's every time I go it's like the shock of the new. Um, but anyway, I thrive on it and I've got this Australian friend who lives there called Bernard and he, when I told him I was interviewing you, asked me to ask you this question um, based on a Mental as Anything song. A devil with the Sheilas, this is his perception, of, he wants you to tell him if this is true. A devil with the Sheilas and a darling with the blokes. Absolutely true. How spot on. <laughs> That's for you, Bernard Hart. <laughs> Do you think, I think he's talking about being a larrikin. Do you think we still, we still have that? I've been asked that a few times. Yes, we do. We the do? larrikin still is out there. The interesting thing is the larrikin's in, in, in the girls too, not yeah. just the blokes. And, you know, we're a massively multicultural country. But there's a lady I know who was on the first boat, Vietnamese, uh, escaping uh, the North Vietnam, on the, one of the first boats that came to Australia with a family. That lady went on to have quite a career in finance, right? Yeah. One of the biggest larrikins I've ever met. Really? When she looks you in the eye and says something to you, you know it's as cheeky as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it exists. Yeah, we've exists. got a humour, haven't we, that, that um, well, we're, we're is lucky, unique to we're, us. We're very lucky. The one thing that the English did deliver to us is irony. Yeah. And it's interesting. When I go to Canada and, and, and toss away some remark, the Canadian will get it. If I toss it away in America, they don't get it. They're very literal. That, uh, you know, of course, there's some some people there that are quite sophisticated and, and, and onto irony. But in the main, you know, if I call someone up and said, oh, you know, they thought about Sam Neill, I said, oh, that bastard. You know, they'll <laughs> think I hate his guts. Yes. That's Whereas right. that's what you call a mate. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. they don't. But in Canada, in Canada, they would get that. Yeah, yeah. But um, in the in the US, they would think that, literally think that, therefore, you mustn't like that person. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, that's the one thing, certainly one thing that the, the, the English delivered to us was that sense of irony mm. and I think it's that sense of irony that's the, the cheekiness don't don't take this at, fa at face value mm. you know mm. and I quite like it because I think um, it brings the barriers down you know like it, it really I think warms you to people very very quickly whereas I find when I'm in the States it's a lot harder to get that feeling it takes a lot longer you've got to really listen and work out which way that person is going yeah I, I mean I've been going there for 20 years 
And I still think there is very, very little similarities. We kind of speak the same language and that's about all. Yeah, the one thing I will say about the Yanks is they're a very warm people. They are. You know, and they're very generous. Like the first time, if anyone, the first time they go, you know, people have give them time, you know, mm. helpful, whatever, you know. I, I, with all the problems that America has and whatever, you mustn't lose sight of the fact of, you know, the people are really warm oh, and have exactly. given us a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I have to keep always reminding myself of that. But I'm always interested in the fact that they don't have the irony. They're no. literal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hey, did you like working there? Yeah, yeah, love it. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, look, because, you know, when you're working on a film, people work hard. Mm. People work hard, mm. you know, and uh, everyone's job is to deliver. And mm. uh, it doesn't matter whether they're the biggest star in the world or, 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 or someone with a small part. They're wanting to deliver this as well as they can so the, mm. so the story they're telling works. So, and, you know, like a, a film set in, in, in India or US or England or here or Germany it's almost exactly the same. Oh, wow. The same jokes Global are cracked. Rules. Same jokes are cracked yeah. about each department and mm. all that sort of stuff. It's very similar. Mm. Mm. Brian Brown, we're out of time. The new book is called The Drowning. What a pleasure, what a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. I loved it. Thanks, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.